turn of the millennium is a time of great opportunity to reflect on our past, to assess the present, and to make new commitments for the future. Welcome to Because of the Times, 1999. Thank you, and you may be seated. The legendary Green Bay football coach named Vince Lombardi. Once when his team was on a losing streak, Lombardi called a team meeting, and he announced... Gentlemen, today we are going back to the basics and holding up this object, he said, men, this is a football. <laughs> Distinguished church leaders, my general superintendent and district superintendent, Brothers and sisters, this is a lost world. Our single purpose of life, our reason for living, is to evangelize a lost world. The bottom line is, I do not exist for any other reason. It is our command to declare the whole gospel to the whole world. It is our mandate of the Lord of the harvest. It is our apostolic legacy of an unforgettable people in the book of Acts. It is not only possible, but it is demanded. And we have everything we need to do it. But the bottom line is, we haven't done it. The year 2000 now is only 11 months away. It looms on the stark horizon, attracting every eye to its mystical significance. The so-called universal church is making strategic plans, both in Rome and Jerusalem, for the ecumenical gathering of all religions and Reformation churches including Muslims, Hindu, and Eastern religions, to join in celebrating the mystical year 2000. In the face of this rapidly changing world and this gathering storm, it is time to get serious about the business of the church. We cannot and we will not accept business as usual. We've got to make radical, revolutionary changes in how we plan to evangelize the world in the next 11 months. The road to the future is always under construction. So because of the times, 1999 is a reconstruction meeting to make plans for the future. And we cannot move into the 21st century and leave one single soul behind. 
Our world stands in the path of coming tribulation. When the wrath of God is getting ready to be poured out without mixture. Upon them who do not know God. And have not obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must issue a warning that will be heard around the globe. Many apostolic Jesus name believers have missed the purpose by a million miles. We are so saturated with our self-serving theology that we have evaded our responsibility of reaching a lost and dying world and warning them of a judgment that is to come. The fact that three billion people now live on this planet who have never one time received an adequate presentation of the death, burial, and resurrection seems to be of no apparent consequence to our church programs. And if this book be the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God, which indeed it is. There is a lot of blood on our hands. And God said, because you have failed to warn and to save lost souls and rescue the perishing. Ezekiel 3, their blood will I require at your hand. Probably the greatest Negligence in the church today is our failure to evangelize the world. Brothers and sisters, this is not a party. This is a lost world. I didn't put these things up for us to come and just celebrate tonight. We will do that tomorrow and tomorrow night and other occasions. But the keynote tonight is... These are lost people. So we're kidding ourselves. If we think we're in the midst of a great revival when half of our churches have gone to sleep, when it comes to evangelizing the world. Come on now, somebody's going to get up here and make you feel good, but I have some thought-provoking things for you tonight. You may be seated. Well, over 80% of the United Pentecostal Church people have never witnessed the gospel to a living soul, let alone led them to Jesus Christ. And most spend more time hunting, fishing, golfing, shopping, cat food, and dog food than they do on evangelizing a lost world. The church that was begun in Acts chapter 2, which we claim to be counterpart, it was the hottest issue on planet earth. There was a handful of committed people with singleness of purpose and urgency of times, abilities that could not be explained by material resources. They covered their then known world and turned it upside down and broke the Roman Empire to its knees and won them run out of Caesar's household. If that great movement and revival would have continued to gain momentum unto now, the whole world would have already heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's sad is the book of Acts ends with chapter 28, verse 31, and is waiting for somebody to write verse 32. Eleven months shy of the new millennium, three billion have never heard his name. Prince died two years ago, killed in an automobile accident. Within 
30 days, every nation in the world knew the name Prince Di. Yet 2,000 years later, half still have never heard the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 13. A Greek physician named Luke writes about the church located at Antioch. It's a city of a half a million people, the capital of Syria, where a hundred or so years earlier, Antiochus Epiphanes was born. It was the great metropolis that great book of Acts believers were first called Christians. The church at Antioch was this kind of church. It was dynamic. It was praying. It was fasting. It was mission giving. It was evangelizing. It was a world changing congregation. They were convinced that they had a reason for existing more than 90 minutes on Sunday morning. Spiritual giants came out of that church. The missions movement started in that church with two men by the name of Paul and Barnabas. The church at Antioch changed the course of Christian history. It is the story of revival, fasting, prayer, evangelism, and missions. It is the pattern of the same kind of activity in our generation. It is the continual story of the apostolic Jesus name, mighty God in Christ, and the rise of the church all over the then known world. The bottom line is this. We haven't followed their pattern to evangelize the world. Even though we adamantly declare the obedience to the apostolic message, and we should. We are so very glad to have people worshiping with us tonight that are not of our belief, or not of our doctrine persuasion. We're so very glad to have them. You may be seated. Dr. Tickle and your friend, we're so very glad to have you. But if you would spare me just a moment, I need to say something to we Pentecostals. I'm going to barge out of my message to the younger generation. Have we come to the last hour and all of a sudden decided that repentance and what baptism in Jesus' name and the essentiality of the Holy Ghost is no longer needed? Or we're going to fail what began 2,000 years ago in the upper room, then water it down when we get to the most powerful time of our history. You may be seated. The kind of revival I'm talking about will still allow you to be separated from the world. Are we going to get here at the end time and think that the revival I'm preaching about tonight is lowering our standards with hair and makeup and jewelry and modest apparel, the things that we have stood for for years, and get here, young preachers, and lay them down? That's not the kind of revival I'm talking about. You may be seated. Having said that, brothers and sisters, and you understanding we not to lay none of that aside, the church of the 21st century has got to be the same kind of apostolic church that that church at Antioch was. That's the kind of church, if these people want me to pastor them, that I intend this church to be. It's going to be a dynamic church. It's going to be a praying church. 
It's going to be a fasting church. It's going to be a witnessing church. It's going to be a mission-giving church. We gave our largest offering to foreign and chiefs. This church gave 62,000 to sheaves for Christ. And I promised this man, he said, please help us at Christmas. I said, we're in a, a building program, but I said, we'll do 15,000 at least. What we did last year, Jack, I promise you. We took our Christmas for Christ offering. And I just wish I could stand on my tiptoes and tell you what a great offering it was. This church gave $4,500 to Christmas for Christ. I was smoking upset. I was so upset at those people in that choir. I was so upset at this church because God will close us up in revival. I walked into the church secretary. I said, you take 13 more thousand dollars out of the building program. You don't ask the trustee board. You don't ask anybody else. You tell them pastor said so. If they're not going to give to missions, I'm going to give our building program to missions. I want Satan and his deadly demons to know that there's going to be a church in Alexandria whose altars are going to be Fleshly stained every day with the tears of the saint. I want him to know there's going to be intercessors. I want him to know there's people fasting every day. I want him to know there's going to be people that's going to believe in an apostolic revival. It's a lost world. They matter to God. Lost people matter to God. I'm tired of just talking about evangelism. Oh, yes, we've got the Brother Billy Coles that goes over there. Pentecost didn't have anything like it. I'm not going to take away from nothing happened there, and we're going to rejoice over that, and we need to. But the bottom line is the church in America isn't getting it done, and we are in the redemption business. We can talk about Ethiopia all we want to. But with Brother Cunningham doing everything he can do, we've had the greatest numbers in the history of the United Pentecostal Church. The United Pentecostal Church is having the greatest revival it's ever had compared to the past. But when you look at what we should have done, we're behind in the race. You may be seated. So let me lay it to you straight. Pastors, let me just lay it to you straight. If this church leaves the doctrine, it's nobody's fault but mine. If this church goes whirly or lose the consecration issues of this church, don't blame whirliness or carnality in your congregation. It's a weak pulpit. I knew you would shout over that. So let me finish. If the altars are empty and the baptistry is empty, it's also the fault of the pulpit. Don't blame the laity. If we're not winning souls, it's the fault of the pulpit, not preaching soul winning, not preaching revival, not preaching prayer, not preaching evangelism, not preaching fasting, and not loving a lost soul. So I ask myself, Brother Becton, I continually ask myself, what is the purpose of this church? Choir, you sang so good. Wasn't that choir tremendous? Don't clap. I got all the time to preach. But wasn't that great? But what's the purpose? Why don't we have a youth ministry? Why don't we have Sunday school? Why don't we have a family life center? Why don't we come to church? What's the purpose of it all? What's the process? What are we trying to do? Who are we trying to impress? Why are we trying to get numbers? Most churches in America are growing by transferring of letters. 
or who's ever having the hottest preacher or the hottest singing group has the largest number in Sunday school. American Christian churches has lost the basis of going to the homeless and the dope addicts and the drug addicts and the homosexualities and the dope heads. They've lost the desire to reach a lost and dying world. So everything we must do I looked at our minister of music, Brother Howard. I looked at this choir as we began the new year. I don't want them singing if they can't win a soul. I don't want a Sunday school teacher teaching a class if they can't win a soul. I told our ministry team, they're right here. I said, get your carcass off of this platform. Don't tell me how many cards you have in your pocket or how many revivals you preached or what you're doing if you can't personally win a soul. And I'm going to look at you preachers and tell you, you haven't got big enough that you've excused yourself from winning a soul. You don't pastor a big enough church that you don't need to win a soul. Never has the harvest been riper. Never has there been a greater day for revival. And about four blocks down this road, when I was six and seven years old, my dad, then a much younger man, would walk to that pulpit with his black hair flashing and braille cream swinging everywhere. He would walk to that pulpit and he'd say in 45 years is the year 2000. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. It's just 45 more years. And when we turn this new year, it dawned on me there are no more years to the year of 2000. We are not speaking of the year of 2000 now in years. We're talking about it in months and weeks and days. And whatever the church is going to do, you say it's going to believe the rapture. I'm not telling you that. But here's what I am telling you. I'm preparing to go and I'm preparing to stay. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be prepared for either one. I told this church, I said, you quit referring around this city to come to church. You start calling our church a hospital. That's what it is, a hospital. It's not a country club. It's not a place for cliques to come meet together. It's not a place for a family to run it. It's a place where people come that are sick, that need to be healed and need to be touched and need to be saved and need to be delivered. Look at this man. My dad baptized him 40 years ago in the name of Jesus. He sat back there and looked at me for 30 years of preaching. January the 11th, God baptized him with the Holy Ghost and he spoke with tongues the Spirit gave him the other. We're going to win them kind. You're going to get those in your congregation that's been coming that hadn't got the Holy Ghost. They're going to get the Holy Ghost this year. There's going to be a revival this year. I walked home from school every day with this boy. He lived two blocks with me. He was a good old Catholic boy. He loved the Lord. This was his wife. He came to me about a year ago. He said, I got a boy. He said, I know you were good when you were a kid. And he said, I don't know what else to do. We've tried everything. He can't do anything. Can you help me? I said, yes, bring him to me. He came in with an earring in, beard, long hair, all messed up, came in there and sat down. I started witnessing to him. And he said, I'll try it. If you say it, I'll try it. This kid repented of his sins. Hallelujah. And God baptized him with the Holy Ghost. You may be seated. His mom and daddy couldn't handle it. So they started coming to church a couple months ago. Three weeks ago, I baptized them in Jesus' name. Both of them got the Holy Ghost. This is Lee. He was a dope addict. He was a cocaine pusher. He ended up one time, Lee, I'm going to let you say a word. you got to do it quick. I'm preaching. He was in a, a drug uh, hospital. He was ready to take his life. Say something about the Lord. 
I love the Lord so okay, much. Talk I came here two years ago. Um, I was in a drug rehab, and my uh, friend of mine had witnessed to me, and I came. I had earrings in both ears, blonde. I was 55 pounds lighter than I am right now. I was hooked on needles, 55 pounds. God filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I got baptized in Jesus' name. Now tell them. I ain't been the same now listen, since. listen. Tell them what's all happening. I started pushing buggies at Kmart after it happened and witnessing it in, yeah. a, in a red vest. I didn't care. I didn't care. That's right. A year ago, I got hired on. I'm a deputy sheriff now. <laughs> Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Last Sunday, last Sunday, you may be seated. Last Sunday, we baptized his brother and sister-in-law. Two Sundays before that, his mother and daddy both got the Holy Ghost in the last four weeks. Because so... These two men here, I'm very proud of them. It's called soul winning. Every Sunday morning, this man right here, who is a deputy, he goes to the jail, halfway house, he picks them up. These are called souls. These are people that nobody wants. These are the incorrigibles. Why don't you ask your rich folks to move over and let the poor come in and those that are less fortunate... I'm not used to seeing them like this. They got their Messiah look. I'll take care of them after Messiah, but they're getting ready for the drama. Come up here. Bring them quick. Come on. i got to have everybody quick. Let me tell you, this is, you may be seated. This is the crew I love. They call themselves Anthony's kids. Oh, I love you. Hey, Pam. I love you, Pastor. I love you, Pam. This is Anthony's kids right here. Roll them on the cross. I'm going out. Roll them on the cross here. Let me tell you, it's hard. You see this fellow right here? And you see this fellow right here? Look at him. Get a good look at him. That's a soul. They're in your community. They can't put $100 a week in the tithing envelope. It'll cost you $100 a week to go get them. But it's a soul. Thank you, Randy. Hey, buddy. Roll them across there. I want everybody to see them. These are my kids here. Do they call somebody? Yeah. Sometimes I'm preaching on Sunday morning. They just start hollering out over there. I have to send the police and everybody over there tell them to shut up. But that don't matter. They're souls. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Souls. Souls. Then here's our grace house, guys. We went down and took a house that we owned. We were going to sell it. I said, why sell it? So we gutted that house. All these men were living on the street just a few days ago. Now this church takes around $2,000 a month. And we support these guys. These are our homeless men that the Pentecostals sponsor. That they have to come to church. Learn the doctrine. Know who they are, what they are, what they're doing. It's called souls. And every one of these are in your community. And let me tell you something. You need to get rid of your stinking prejudice. Some of you don't have a black person in your church. All the world. All the world. Maybe seated. The church is not a country club for the spick and span crowd. The church is not a concert hall where singers and musicians strut their stuff. It's not some architectural showplace. The church is far more. It's a hospital for lost people and hurting people that's got to have their lives changed. Jesus said on the Jericho Road, that notorious highway between Jerusalem and Jericho, he said there was a house of mercy. He called that house the church. He called it a glorious church built along the dangerous highway of life 
where good Samaritans travel every day despite the danger, reaching the wounded, bleeding, half-dead victims, binding up their wounds and pouring in oil and wine and placing them in the hands of the innkeeper. But what? There was only one between Jerusalem and Jericho according to history. What if there would have been no house of mercy, no hospital, no church with love and compassion to which he could take his half-dead victim? The bottom line is this great church. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's that one-on-one encounter with your fellow man that is in desperate need of help today. And the bottom line is Jesus came to build upon this rock His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And my sweet brothers and sisters, it takes more than Sunday morning worship hour to build a church. It takes a lot more than singing songs and holding hands and singing kumbaya to build a spiritual army. There's more to it than tapping your toes and lifting your hands and going through Pentecostal calisthenics to build a church. There's more to building a church than brick and mortar. The church is the body of Christ. It's the blood-washed redeem of the Lamb. It's those that have committed their very lives to the propagation of the gospel. And Jesus Christ is going to build His church. And He is going to do it, hear me close, with us or without us. And I finish that part with two statements. We can't stop it, but we can miss it. We have been raised up for this moment in time in history. The 21st century will be a new kind of world. And the whole world is getting ready for the 21st century. 332 days, 4 hours, 25 minutes. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for the new millennium? To be ready for that, it's going to be another Pentecost. The only way we can do it between now and then is we got to have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and fire. supernatural to touch our lives. The evangelization of our world can only come when we've been breathed on by the Holy Ghost. I wish tonight we'd take everything out of here in one of them old Brush Harbor Pentecostal apostolic meetings. I wonder what would happen if the general board would leave here drunk on the Holy Ghost. I wonder what would happen if the preachers would leave here drunk on the Holy Ghost. I wonder what would happen if every one of us became a flame of fire in this place. We need another Pentecost right now. We need another Holy Ghost outpouring right now. We need another blessing right now. So you know, why don't everything talk in tongues a minute? Go ahead, talk in tongues. Something may happen to you. Let the Holy Ghost touch you right now. Let there be fresh fire fall in this place right now.
carry us out of here drunk on the Holy Ghost. Let us leave here tonight, God, slain under the spirit of power. Let us have another Pentecost tonight. So pastors, What are you pastoring for? All but shepherds beget shepherd. We love that to protect our laziness, don't we? When did God ever teach us that shepherds beget shepherds and sheep beget sheep? Our churches aren't winning souls because we as pastors aren't winning souls. We'll collect the yellow envelopes on Sunday morning, but don't disturb me about that soul winning business. What's your purpose? What's your plan? How can we sleep at night with empty altars and empty baptistries? How can we sleep? You sweet evangelist, thank you, Brother Cunningham, for bringing these great evangelists and wife. We love you. We're sorry we underpay you. We're sorry we treat you like stepchildren. But I want to say something to you that shouldn't affect your burden. Your soul calls is to edify the body, bring revival to the church, and then snatch souls out of hell. An evangelist, if you don't have the burden, of yanking souls out of hell. You need to turn your card in and go home and sell shoes. Evil. And I'm closing. But people are lost. Hell, we hadn't heard of that. When's the last time you preached on hell? 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 When's the last time? You know why? Because it's hard. We got people that's living in hell. When they come to church, we feel guilty about preaching on hell. But the fact is, there's people beside us that's marching to the lake of fire. And we talk about how many gods there are, and we better. And we talk about our doctrine, how powerful it is, and it is. But the fact is, Brother Kilgore, they're still marching to hell. People lost. 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 Line up the lost people in this world in one line. That line would reach around the earth 30 times. And the line would grow 20 miles longer every single day. Assume that we started tonight and we started to drive that line of lost people. And we would give every lost man in that line a New Testament. If we drove 50 miles per hour for 10 hours a day, it would take us four years and 40 days to get to the place where the line ended on the day we began. But the line would have grown 30 miles longer during the trip. Stop the clock at noon. Let time come to a standstill. Lock the cemeteries. Don't let anybody die. Close the OB section of the hospital. Let no one else be born. And until we win those to Christ that are alive right now, 
at the rate of all evangelical church. Now, I am not speaking of apostolics. I am talking about if for five minutes we could ecumize with every denomination church you know. The rate that the evangelical churches have been going. It would take us 320 years to win the lost in America alone. It would take us 4,000 years at our present rate to reach the lost world. I ask you. Are we fulfilling the great commission? Dr. Paul James pictured two automobiles leaving the expressway in New York City, both headed for Los Angeles. One traveling 10 miles an hour and one traveling 100 miles an hour. In James' illustration, the 100 mile an hour car represents the expansion of the human race. The 10 mile an hour car represents the expansion of all Christianity together. It is estimated that one million village and towns in the free world alone are without an evangelical voice. In the meantime, our churches increase their barns and miss the harvest. The world is craning into hell at a frightening speed and the great commission is further from being obeyed than ever before. He that winneth souls is wise. I think I learned that from an old book. And then I think the man that is the book told us you do it one by one. God expects a believer to bring another to Jesus. And the plan has set the operation in a generation to equal its sense. A pagan, intolerant, selfish, rotten. Within 30 years, the plan by those men that Jesus instituted successfully challenged both Israel and Rome. It worked by him doing it one on one. In fact, Jesus gave them a name. He called them fishers of men. And he began his organization with these tradespeople whose names was Peter, James, and John, and others. And he said that they were to catch men. So what have we done? We're so blessed. I'm better off than I have ever been. These people love me. I drive the best. I live in the best, and they would like it to even be better. So the fact is, we've traded our fishing boats in on excursion ships, and we're enjoying our cruise to heaven, complete with our deck chairs, our sumptuous meal, our great organization and leaders that we have. What a great organization. Entertaining singing, Entertaining preaching, complete with cabin service, deck games, and cozy hours. It must really shock the fishermen of Galilee when they look at the church that's bringing the clothes to the 2,000-year millennium. Are you basking on a sunshine deck or are you fishing for men. The law of the sea is SOS, which is soul for souls. Its presence is over everything cargo, profit, difficulty, language barrier, shipping company, and any other signal. Last year, Hollywood's biggest producer was the movie Titanic. The story is this. Ten miles away from where the Titanic was slowly sinking, after scraping her giant hull against the spur of an iceberg, was the SS California. The SS California was only ten miles away. One thousand 513 passengers perished. 2,224 people were on board the Titanic, of whom 885 were crew. The SOS went out. The air was filled with the message, the Titanic is sinking. What happened to the SS California? 
that ship was close enough to have saved all 1,513 who perished. Why were they lost? One simple man. The wireless operator of the SS California had left his post. Did not receive the signal. And though the rockets were shooting into the sky, for some unexplained reason, they did not take the distress signals. And the stricken ship, mankind's momentary pride, sank at 2.15 in the morning. Her keel hoisted high in the air. It sounded as great and terrible as a collision, they said, of 20 trains. It was reported by the 711 who were rescued that though they were in distant boats after the roar of the crash of the vessel, there came across the waters the cries of 1,513 victims. And then there was silence forever and ever and ever. Oh, Brother Gidros, when I was a kid in the early 50s, preached a message, death march to hell. And he stood there and he marched, and he marched, and he marched, and he marched. Hell, hell, make a fire, burn it. You love Acts 238? How much? All you want to do is run around and debate it with those that don't believe like we believe. Or why did he give it to you? What's the purpose of Acts 2, 38? What is repentance? What is baptism in Jesus' name? What is the infilling of the Holy Ghost? What's it for? There was a boy working at a filling station here. And he was filling up his tire with air. It blew up. And Brother Mahaney, it decapitated him. Dead instantly. The story is this. His mama was an apostolic mama. And at that funeral, she cried, My boy! Oh, my boy! My boy wasn't saved! My boy wasn't saved! My boy wasn't saved! Oh, my boy! My boy, my boy! For the next three weeks, she lost it. She quit eating. She quit drinking. They had to get her professional help. She lost pounds after pounds after pounds. And I wondered, sister, why didn't you do that three weeks before he died instead of three weeks after? He died. Hell. And in hell, they lift up their eyes. And they see the United Pentecostal Church shouting and dancing. And no one's been baptized in weeks. And nobody cares. And nobody's knocking doors. And nobody's handing out tracts. And it becomes not a way of life. It's just something else. And in hell, they're lifting up. And in hell, they're saying it because of the time. Come on, preachers. Come on, churches. Somebody care about the lost. What you going to do about it, preacher? Somebody will get you feeling better tomorrow. Some Brother Urshan, he'll, he'll preach as a great mess, but I, I can't stop tonight till I get your attention. There's people going to hell. There's people in your city. God didn't set you there just to take care of the saints. He set you there to reach that community and people that are lost. There's a lost world. There's a lost world. There's a lost world. Preacher was driving back into New Orleans, and I'm through. And Brother Kilgore saw this man. He said, it's a guy trying to rob me. It's a guy going to kill me. 
This man's in the middle of the punch of train bridge. Stop, stop. So this preacher said, I just decided I'm going to go around him. So he said, I took my car and I swerved the other lane. And the man threw his body over in front. Stop. And he fell out in front of my car. I stand on my brakes. My adrenaline began to pump. I jumped out. I said, what do you want to do? You want to rob me? Rob me. Why, why do you do that? He said, sir, sir, a barge broke loose and knocked a span out of the bridge. And the Greyhound bus went over. And I climbed up the bridge to stop you from plunging in Lake Pontchartrain. He said, I looked at that man and I hugged him. I said, oh, sir, what do you want? What can I do for you? I'll repay you. I'll give you anything. And Jesus looked at we apostolics. And as the good Samaritan, he said, I'm going to give them to you now. I've called them. And here's what he said. You spend everything you got on them. And you spend more. And when I come back, I'll pay you everything you've ever spent on a lost soul. Every mission dollar, every time, every door, every witness, he said, I'll repay you. So, Who's going to hell from your city when you're not coming? Evangelist, who's going to hell while you're preaching your pretty sermons? Preachers! How many is going to go to hell while you worry about the things and the stock market and the CDs, what you can do? People are going to hell in your community. People are going to hell in your community. You Jesus to me you helped me not the pray. light to Face a minute.